and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show with five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Welcome to Tim and Friends for this September 7th, 2021. I'm Tim McAuliffe. Jesse Rubinoff with me as always, or at least until his bachelor party. Oh, goodness. Something I didn't even think of existing in 2021 until Jesse told me that he was off Thursday and Friday this mm. week for his. What mm. in the good name of Dick Duff does a Dick bachelor Duff. party look like in 2021? All right, so we were supposed to go to Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. But given the, the current... Uh, state of the world i guess you could put it we decided to can that not right. happening okay so we're going to muskoka and it's just just it's gonna be fun to to be able to hang out with a group of friends that haven't seen in a year and a half basically right so you guys can go outside muskoka have a few drinks do the things that you would normally do in and around a stag i'm not a big stag guy like my stag was cool i had a great time i think producer jason sands was at my stag uh we had like 25 guys because my best man and I uh, were both getting married within like a month of each other. Amazing. So Moose and I decided we'd put it together and go to Vegas. And I'm not the normal stag. Like we didn't do. We just gambled and had fun. Well, and hold on a second. Out. Hold on a second. I'm not a bachelor party guy. Right. But we went to Vegas for my bachelor party. Do you realize, well, I, do you realize the contradiction there? No, I do. Yeah. I do. Like, so right. I'm trying to separate mm. the going to Vegas because I have a lot of friends who... Uh, like to gamble. Right. Um, you just pin it on your best friend, though. We went because it's... it's no, 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 no. It, just, we, we, it wasn't like that kind of bachelor uh, party, but it was in Vegas. So there was those kind of bachelor party things. If yes. that makes sense? Yeah, that does make sense. All right. We got yeah. a lot going on today. Holy bleep. Yeah. Uh, either way, have fun. And thanks thank for riding shotgun for what is like 110 straight. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, yeah, something like that. Uh, we'll introduce Kevin Mickey later in the week who will replace... Our good friend Jesse Rubinoff. Like whole, so Layla Annie Fernandez is playing right now, and this has gone back and forth where it looked like up a break, serving for the match in Flushing to head to a semifinal. It's still going on. We will update you as we go along. New York, as I said yesterday, has been kind to Canadians. Last night, unkind to Bianca. We'll see what happens with the Jays and Garrett Cole today. And Layla Annie Fernandez on the verge of history. <laughs> Ridiculous. Uh, we'll get you to it. All right. We'll also uh, introduce you to Rich Gannon or reintroduce you to Rich Gannon, former NFL MVP on the NFC North as our divisional previews continue. A Tuesday roundtable that includes Eric Angles from Montreal, hometown of Layla Annie Fernandez, J.D. Bunk is from Toronto, hometown of a lot of folks, and Brad Fay live from Cooperstown on the eve of the Baseball Hall of Fame induction ceremony, Maple Ridge's own Larry Walker on his way in. In fact, Brad will appear twice in this show, the roundtable, and in a teaser clip of him and Walker from Cooperstown that will appear in Blue Jays Central a little later on today. Got it good and since you understood, Jays in the Hall of Fame will be a running theme throughout the day as well as whatever the hell happens in this matchup between Layla Annie Fernandez and Alina Svitolina that has gotten really interesting. In fact, not only will the Jays and the Yankees kind of be a running theme here, 
quoting the most quotable Hall of Famer of all time in Yankee great Yogi Berra might be the theme of the week for the Toronto Blue Jays. For the kids that don't know or remember Yogi Berra, all he did was go to the All-Star game 18 times, win three MVPs, and just 13 World Series titles. And yet somehow, somehow Yogi might be more well-known for his head-scratching sayings like, it's deja vu all over again. Or, you better cut the pizza in four pieces because I'm not hungry enough to eat six. Love it. But despite the head-scratching quotables, the yogiisms were also pretty damn thoughtful. Like, a nickel ain't worth a dime anymore. And you can observe a lot by just watching. Or one of my favorites, no one goes there nowadays, it's too crowded. Think about them all for a second. I know it takes a while to let them digest, let them marinate, to understand them. They're still apt to this day. If the world were perfect, it wouldn't be. Got it? But perhaps the most fitting yogiism, despite all the modern world attempts at quantifying the world of sports with things like win probability and playoff percentages, is the tried, tested, and true, it ain't over till it's over. Jays fans, take note. Because while some thought Yogi was a clown prince, there is also some sage wisdom in there. It ain't over till it's over. And while the Broken ankles from jumping off the bandwagon were numerous. We are about to find out with Jesse Rubinoff and first things first. It ain't over till it's over. And it might be just time to jump back on the bandwagon. First things first. first. Well, the Blue Jays going for their sixth straight win tonight as they continue their series with Can the Yankees. Can I stop you for one second? In the Bronx. Oh, sorry, Maddie. Hold on. Let me, let me stop here for one second here. I could tell that you were watching a tennis match the entire opening segment. Were you not? And I, am I going to okay. do it to you now? Is that what's going to happen here? Well, okay. Y- you were doing it on camera. You were looking up. People, think you, <laughs> people must think you're looking at the clouds. You're speaking. You're speaking and, and looking up at the sky. Yes. I, I was kind of peering <laughs> off to see what was happening while we were talking. <laughs> Cameraman Sebastian Mohan was looking off to watch Se- Lele. He's going to have like, just Everyone a random was- shot. I'm surprised you're still <laughs> just, in it. The camera just there. starts <laughs> drifting as we go to a tiebreaker or what seems like a tiebreaker at oh. 5 4 I mean, we're sports fans. Like, that, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's, that's the reality, this right? This is the beauty. One of the most famous clips from this show was Sid and I watching the women's gold medal game between the United States and Canada in yes. Sochi while the rest of the world watched it. So as sports fans, I almost it's almost like a pat on the back of this show that we actually give a bleep that much that we may be distracted by what is now 5-5 in the third set between Leila and Anthony. And I know there's a lot of other things going on, but we're going to focus on the Jays. I'm going to give Jesse an out. I'm going to give myself an out if this segment sucks. Go ahead. I am done looking at the TV for now. We're going to look directly at you. The right. Blue Jays go for their sixth straight win tonight as they continue their series with the Yankees in the Bronx. Yesterday, the Jays won the opener 8-zip, the second straight 8-0 victory, and the Red Sox and Mariners both lost. So the Jays now three games back at the Red Sox for the second wild card and three and a half games back at the Yankees for the first wild card. Will the Jays keep the streak going Tonight, this one's going to be really tough, and here's why it's going to be really tough. Let me just read the pitching matchup. Steven Matz, Garrett Cole. And when the spider tack rules were put in play, a lot of people looked at Garrett Cole and went, 
oh dear God, this guy might be in trouble. And for the early going, he was. His first seven starts after the substances rule change, he was two and three with a 487 ERA. Mm-hmm. Since that point, last four starts, he is 4-0 with a 0.73 ERA and a 185 opponent's average. The numbers have been unbelievable for Garrett Cole. He's figured it out. That's why he is a AL Cy Young Award favorite at this juncture in time. And the Yankees need him to be that ace tonight. Two and seven in their last nine games after that 13-game winning streak. A lot of folks in New York wondering if that was an aberration or if this is the aberration. They don't know what the Yankees are. They do know what Cole is. And this is the prime time ace sort of game. And what makes it even more interesting as you peel back the layers of Mm -hmm. the onion, the Jays could do a huge favor for the Cy Young hopes of their yes. own Robbie point. Ray. So it is a matchup of a great lineup, although it'll be without George Springer tonight. He is not playing today, day-to-day, though aren't we all, against Garrett Cole. <laughs> and I'm, I'm real interested in seeing how this goes down today and if Garrett Cole can be the ace that the Yankees absolutely positively need him to be. And when you look at the rest of the matchups for this series... When I say absolutely positively need him to be, I'm not kidding. The Yankees need Garrett Cole to be lights out tonight. He's got to be the stopper tonight, uh, yeah. without question. The Yankees have been in a rut the last little while, but uh, it's time to, to give some flowers to Steven Matz because yep. as much as this might seem like a lopsided pitching matchup, Matz has been incredible since the beginning of August. I think it's a 1-6-5 ERA since the beginning of August in six starts. Started well, a little bit of a blip. Yes. Actually, more than a little bit. There was a chunk. A chunk, yes. Of a blip. And he seems to have refound whatever he had at the start of the year. You're right. Which is, is unbelievable when you consider, you look at his ERA for the season, and it's the highest ERA of the pitching staff on the Blue Jays, and it's still a half run better than the American League average for starting pitchers. So this rotation has been absolutely lights out. Like, it's better than Ryu right now, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, think about that, Jays fans. Like, of all the pickups and another free agent after the year, but of all the pickups that Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins went out and got, like, Steven Matz has a better ERA than Hinjin Ryu. Like, that's crazy what they were able to find yeah. from the it, scrap I think it's heat. close now after yesterday. I think Ryu might be a couple decimal points. Higher? Uh, uh, lower, lower than, lower than Matt's. Ryu's 377 we got it right now, here. I think. 377, Matt's 380. But, okay. I mean, splitting hairs because, yeah. I mean, look, at that That tells a story right there. So going into Ryu's last start, Matt's had a exactly. lower year. Exactly. Yeah, gotcha. So, I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's remarkable when you think about where the Blue Jays are right now. The fact that they are still three and a half games back of a wild card spot when you look at that rotation and just how well they've been able to perform they have an expected win-loss record Timmy yeah of 83 and 53 this season and that just gives you a, a small taste of where this team could be if they were somehow a little bit better in those one-run games if the bullpen was just a little bit stronger because their offense has been incredible yeah. they are prone to to slumps from from time to time and we saw that a couple weeks ago they definitely are prone to slumps but they also can have explosions like they had yesterday and the day before in the whole series against the Oakland A's so this team really is capable of doing some damage and if they can continue this run against the Yankees who knows you're getting yeah. closer and closer they're out of their slumber the, the offense is out of their slumber you can go back a couple series on that although it was Baltimore and 
the numbers around Vladdy Guerrero Jr., I know he hit, like, prone to slumps is a bit of a stretch for me, and I'm just, I'm, this is semantics and I know it. When you look at the overall season that Vladdy's had, yes. he became just a six-player, 22 or younger, with a 300 average and 40 bombs. And the other people on that list are just the who's who in baseball history. So it is an amazing accomplishment what Vladimir Guerrero has done. And for him to refine it at this time and put the bandwagon back in motion, it's a real interesting time for the Toronto Blue Jays, their fans, and this game tonight. Huge. <laughs> I mean, this is what we want as a fan, right? September baseball to mean something. You, against a division rival in their barn, you got to go and get it. That's what you want. All right, let's move on to soccer now. Alfonso Davies was not at training with the men's national team today ahead of tomorrow's World Cup qualifier against El Salvador. Davies left Sunday's draw against the U.S. late in the second half with an apparent knee injury. It's not good. There were reports out of Europe that the Bayern Munich star had gone back to Germany to undergo an MRI, but Canadian head coach John Herbin said that is, in fact, not the case. Alfonso didn't train today. And I'll be uh, providing an update uh, either later today or probably tomorrow morning as we continue the assessment. Is he still uh, with the team? Yeah, he's still with the team. He's with the team, but how much will it hurt their chances if he doesn't play tomorrow? There is like a pause in there. So the reports suggested that he was already back on his way. Now, the reports came from smaller accounts from people that I didn't really know in Germany or I hadn't heard of, though I don't follow a lot of German accounts. Um, That said... Canada, it's obviously a huge blow. He's their best player. He has been their best player. And every time he touches the ball, he's dangerous. He set up the one goal. He, he beat a real good player constantly for the United States. Um, it would be a huge loss. That said, in the Gold Cup, Canada played without Alfonso Davies, among others. Mm-hmm. And they were still good. And this is the depth that you need to win qualification in the World Cup is unlike many other things on planet Earth when it comes to sports. And listen, Canada would have loved to have been able to escape. The United States is facing the same thing right now. Weston McKinney was sent home. Like, if he can't play, it's a huge blow. It's not unforeseen, and Canada did and competed very well on the Gold Cup without Alfonso Davies. So there is some precedent here. And again, that game against El Salvador on Wednesday, absolutely massive three points on the line. What strikes me about what you just said is the level of confidence that you have in this team if their best player doesn't play. Imagine telling yourself a number of years ago that Team Canada would not have their best player and you would still have confidence that they would be able to win, at at the very least compete, yeah. In the CONCACAF World Cup. I mean, Cup just qualifier. think of who they were bringing off the bench against the United States of yeah. America, right? Like you're Ridiculous. bringing Tejon Buchanan yeah. off the bench. You're bringing Atiba Hutchinson. Jonathan David, yeah. Right? Jonathan David, League 1, Lille, Champions. Atiba Hutchinson, Besiktas, Champions League. Like one of the greatest to ever lace up the boots for Canada off of the bench. And this is where their depth will have to pay dividends. Mm-hmm. And... Listen, El Salvador's been no joke early. I think a lot of people looked at this draw, looked at this octagon and said El Salvador may be one of the weak teams. But they have been full marks for two draws early, and it'll be interesting to see what Canada does. 
I hope Alfonso Davies plays. If he doesn't, Canada needs to draw from that confidence that they had in the Gold Cup without some of their biggest names. Yep, just underscores your point that this is the most talented roster the Canadian men have probably yeah. ever had. Okay, two Canadians remaining in the singles draws at the U.S. Open after Bianca Andreescu lost a yeah. tough three-setter to Maria Sakari last night. Felix Auger Aliassime will take on 18-year-old Carlos Alcaraz tonight under the lights at Arthur Ashe Stadium and one day after her 19th birthday. Leila Fernandez in quarterfinal action Oof. today, taking on fifth seat Alina Spitalina. And this is why me and Tim keep looking up into the clouds. Let's do the highlights. Leila, the first woman since 1975 to defeat two former world number ones en route to the U.S. quarters, taking on Olympic bronze medalist Alina Spitalina. First set, game on serve. Fernandez hammers the weak second serve right back at the Ukrainian, sets up break point. On break point, Fernandez gets Spitalina on the run, and Layla is going to put away the winner for the break. Goes up 4-2, doubles her up. Later in the first, the Canadian backhand cross-court winner. Fernandez, the first to win a set off Spitalina at the open, takes the opener 6-3, second set. Fernandez, already down a break, goes for the drop. Svitolina chases it down for her second break. Goes on to win the set 6-3. We got a good one on our hands at Flushing. In the third, Fernandez looking to get back some of the momentum, battling at the net. Hits the open court volley, and she's been playing to the crowd the entire tournament, continues to do it there. Later in the set, Fernandez on the run. Svitolina tries the drop shot, but the Canadian comes in and... Speed. Puts it away. Speed kills. Layla and Flushing Meadows fired up. And where do we have it now? Fernandez. We are now 6-6 heading to the tie break in the third set. Going to the tie break now. I mean. So there's a Fernandez million, yeah. had it 5-3 serving for the match. Yes. And there was an opportunity there for Layla Annie Fernandez. And obviously um, you have the advantage serving for the match at 5-3. Svitolina has battled back, and I think there's some nerves here working in because obviously this is somewhere, this is almost unprecedented for at least Canadian tennis. Like, even when Bianca at 19 won, there were flashes. There was the Miami Open before she got injured. There was an Indian Wells victory. Yep. The only victory Leila Annie Fernandez has is Monterey, a second-level tournament, maybe even a third-level tournament if you were to break it on down. Mm -hmm. And... To be in this spot at that court in Flushing Meadows is obviously a ton of pressure. And right now, in the tie break at 6-6, uh, Layla is up 1-0. If she's able to gut through this, it is an un... And we'll talk to the roundtable about this next. Mm -hmm. Like, it is an unbelievable victory. It would be just the sixth Canadian in the open era to move on to a semifinal in a Grand Slam. Like, think about that for a second. And it's a 19-year-old, a day into her 19th year. I don't want to say this has come out of nowhere because she's been hyped and there's been a ton of talent there. You've been hearing about Leila Fernandez. But to see her do it on the big stage against who she's done it against yeah, is what is ridiculous. That's like, the unbelievable part. Every, every single round, it's against either a Grand Slam champion or... But it, Naomi Osaka, the defense. Like, it's just, it's ridiculous how many top tier women she's beating during this run. But do you think that she's honestly been hyped as much as, say, Bianca or uh, others? Like, 
Felix has been on the radar for a long time. Shapovalov has been on the radar. Like, I feel like while Leila Annie Fernandez has been in these tournaments, the hype hasn't been near the levels of the others. No. And this is just a coming out party unlike we have seen in a long time. And for those watching, she's up 2-1 in the tiebreak, third set. We will get to it's, all of it with the round table coming up. Yeah, it's just it's an amazing, amazing story. And, I mean, it would have been nice, obviously, for Bianca to, to continue. But how spoiled Canadians have been at the U.S. Open. You know, one of the things I want to talk about with the round table is, is how it seems as though young Canadian talent is breaking through at a high level in all sports yes. right now. And Leila Annie Fernandez could be the latest to become the darling of the Canadian media because if she closes this out, she will be there. Bianca has been there. Tough break with a hard-fought uh, three-setter last night. Um, tennis is getting a lot of play in this country. And uh, we'll check on the yeah, result. Yeah, I mean, that's a, very good, that's a very good point to bring up with the roundtable because it's not just tennis. It's, no. it's everything. Soccer, it's NBA, it's soccer. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a, that's a great topic. All right. Uh, we'll keep it coming. Still to come. Arden's Welling on the Jays' win streak and a playoff push as they continue their huge series in the Bronx. Plus, we'll tee up the NFC North with our divisional previews. Rich Gannon, former, former NFL MVP, joining us. And up next, as mentioned, the Tuesday Roundtable. We'll talk Jays, Larry Walker, tennis, offer sheets, and plenty more with Eric Angles, Brad Fay, and J.D. Bunkus. Fernandez up 4-1 in the tiebreak. Tim and Friends continues <laughs> right here on Sportsnet. Marcus Simeon with the bases loaded. This ball is in the corner. This ball is going to go. Grand slam home run. And they busted it wide open. This one hit deep to right. It's got a chance. Way back. A home run for Larry Walker, his first of the year. It's his first home run in the major leagues. Oh, brother. Was that hit? I'm a proud Canadian, and uh, I'm, I'm happy where I'm from, and I'm able to represent a country that's only been represented one time in the Hall of Fame. We're going to get up, and on the way up, we're going to buy the kneecap off, all right? And we're going to stand up, and then it's going to take two more shots to knock us down, all right? And on the way up, we're going to take your other kneecap. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. It is over in Flushing Meadows. Layla Annie Fernandez has defeated Alina Svitolina in the tie break. Of the third set, she becomes just the sixth Canadian ever to make a Grand Slam final in the open era, collapsing at the baseline semifinal, that is. A sixth Canadian ever to make a Grand Slam semifinal in the open era, collapsing at the baseline, defeating another giant in the game, Alita Svitolina, after Naomi Osaka and Angelique Kerber, an unbelievable run will continue in New York for Montreal's Leila Annie Fernandez. It is the second segment on a Tuesday, which means it's time to gather the virtual roundtable. And what a time! A weekly reminder that you can't expect to run with the wolves come night when you spend all day sparring with the puppies. Omar Little Wisdom, so we brought in the Wolves. That's each and every Tuesday. We cross the continent far and wide to bring you the best of the best the sports world has to offer. Starting in Layla Annie's hometown, Montreal, where our first guest is not only a senior columnist with Sportsnet, but by his own account, a pretty damn good golfer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Eric Angles. What's up, Angles? How are you? 
The people I golf with would disagree, but thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. From Montreal to Toronto, where my next guest is the host of the good show on Sportsnet 590, the fan. And indeed, and indeed it is a good show. UConn kid who seems right at home in the big city. Here's J.D. Bunkus. What's good, J.D.? Thanks for having me, man. Just, you know, all guys who are equally qualified to talk tennis together. I'm excited <laughs> to be here. Hey, Phaser. Phaser covers tennis all the time. And speaking right. of Phaser, a B.C. boy who I've been told could shoot it, and he shot his shot for years here at Sportsnet, and shoot it so well. He's in Cooperstown as we speak for another BC Boys enshrinement in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Tim and Friends Hall of Famer, it's Brad Fay. What's going on, Brad? How are you, buddy? Hey, yes, representing the West out here with Larry Walker. And we're, in fact, we're in Oneonta, a little town outside of Cooperstown. There's no hotel rooms left in Cooperstown. So just <laughs> so, to get it exactly right, if you're going to font me geographically correct, right. that's where I am. Lovely Oneonta, New York, is where Brad Fay is. Oh. And I think that I've even mispronounced it. Uh, let's start with what we just saw. Layla Annie Fernandez, I will give the hometown boy the first crack at this. Eric Angles, what is this doing in Montreal right now? Uh, not just Layla Annie, but uh, Felix, who was born in Montreal, though raised in Quebec City. You always ask me for the pulse of the city, but yeah. I can only give you my own. I'm a huge tennis fan, by the way. I know a lot about it. And I covered uh, Denis Shapovalov's run in 2018 in Montreal. That was my first time covering tennis. So I've been a lifelong uh, player of the sport. And i got to say, what this girl is doing, this fine young woman who just turned 19 years old, is extremely impressive. And I think... You look at this match in particular after taking down Kerber, after taking down Osaka uh, under the bright lights there in New York. You know, she was up 5-2 in this third set and still found the composure to come back. I loved her post-match comments over the last two where she said, I just want to go out there and put on a show. You know, this girl has composure. She has confidence. She has variety. When she gets a little bit stronger, that serve is going to kick up a little bit, though she can get it over 100, as you just saw. And uh, the versatility in her game makes her a really impressive player. J.D., I don't want to make this just a Montreal story. Like, this is national news, right? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a few things. One is, so she's 18, right? Just turned 19. Just turned 19. So she's 19 years old. And then P up 5-2 there in just, like, ready to close a match and have Svitolina bounce back, get there, knot it up. I'll just admit, I, I thought that that was done. I figure, you know, you're 19 years old. This is a huge spot. Someone's just come back at you. You had all the momentum. You broke her. Now she's back knotted up. You're toast. Yeah. So I just, I love my athletes who have an immense amount of guts and who are passionate. And this lady just like she strikes all the boxes like there's just everything likable about her and so for this to be kind of the coming out party for this to be the experience that you get to see her up against the ropes and come through in this spot against the number three rated player in the world like that I, don't, I can't think of a better way to debut yeah what a great point about how so many in that moment would buckle and she was able to find the intestinal fortitude, to quote Gorilla Monsoon, uh, to get Love this it. done at this spot. Brad, I know you're in Cooperstown. I know, well, at least close to Cooperstown. What does this mean to you? You've covered tennis for a long time for this network. This is an absolutely massive story. Just the sixth Canadian to make it through to a Grand Slam semi. 
Other than missing the last uh, game because I had to come out here, couldn't watch it on TV, I did get your play-by-play, -play, though, so I did get the feel for it. Uh, selfishly, I want to say, where was this a couple weeks ago in Toronto and Montreal when the Canadians, other than Bianca, all lost in the first round? We could have used that, but we knew this was coming, and I think the most impressive thing to me uh, is, same with Felix Ojealiasim, is the way Leila Fernandez has won over the crowd. It's the way that she plays and the emotion she plays with and the confidence. You can feel that that crowd loves her like they love Felix and that's huge at the U.S. Open. It doesn't always happen for a player from Canada and this is a history in the making. I love her quote two matches ago. When did you think you could actually win this match? She said before it started and you can tell she believes it. Says it with a smile. She's fabulous. This is going to be great. So let me follow up with you Brad because I, I know you cover the sport. You said that you could see this coming. And as a as kind of a periphery fan, I watch every sport. I like a lot of sports, but when you got to cover them all, it can get tough. I, I'm going to be honest. I did not see this coming. I heard about Bianca. I heard about Felix. I heard about Shapovalov. Layla Annie mm -hmm. was kind of like just on the outside looking in. Did, did those in tennis feel like she could make this kind of imprint? Yeah, I guess I should clarify my, my point was more we saw this coming with as a group. But right. I meant that they didn't get it done in Toronto and Montreal because uh, it's just that this wave of Canadian tennis. As for Layla, uh, a little earlier than anticipated, we've seen signs and you know that all the tools are there. I love the way they marvel about her speed. And I think getting to this stage and then stepping through, regardless of what happens from this point through in the Final Four, and as uh, I think both J.D. and Eric mentioned how she was up 5-2, let it get away, and then would have buckled a lot, would have in this situation. So for her in the first instance to get through like this means that there's plenty more to come. But it's wide open, both the men's and the women's side. Other than that guy Djokovic, it's a different, the landscape is changing. And there's a real opportunity here for a 10-year window with all these young players. Yeah, you heard Francis Tiafo talking about that. Eric Angles, I got to ask you, like, Brad Fay and I, and JD as well, have been talking about this golden generation of basketball in Canada, and it's never really come to fruition, at least not with a maple leaf on their chest. We've seen the players advance to great levels, but is this the golden generation of tennis in this country? Yeah, I think so. And you look at the other sports too. I mean, you know, I don't think it's a new story with soccer, but that's impressive. But tennis specifically, and golf, you know, which is obviously one of my favorites. You know, you look at Adam Hadwin coming, Mackenzie Hughes. You look at, uh, obviously, what's going on on the women's side with Brooke Henderson. You know, there's just so many of these great Canadian athletes on the rise, specifically in the summer sports, which to me is unbelievable. And the development with Tennis Canada is so exciting, and it is the golden generation because you look at the versatility of each player and how different the variety, I should more say, it, it, that it is. It's like Felix is incredible at plotting his way around the court, very smart, I think if he develops a big weapon, which his first serve is appearing like one at this tournament, he's got to get rid of the double faults, but he, he's developing and he's got all around game. You look at Dennis, he's got all the shots. And if he could incorporate kind of the brains that Felix operates with on the tennis court, he's going to be a major champion. They're like, there's not even a question in my mind. And he rises to the occasion in the big moments. Bianca's already done it. You know, she just had an incredible run come to an end of being undefeated at the U.S. Open for two years. That's ridiculous to me. Uh, and obviously now Layla on her way. But, you know, not to take anything away from Milos Raonic, who's had a lot of injuries. He was on his way and, and set the bar for these guys. And, you know, Daniel Nestor for years. But yes. right now you look at the youth of these four players that are on their way and, and the, just the versatility and the variety 
between them. It's such different personalities in different games, and it's really exciting, and it should be attracting a lot of young people to the game. Without a doubt. Uh, before we get to the question for JD, Brad, are you okay? I heard a honk. Like, they're not going after you in Aniata, are you? There's a lot going on here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so JD, uh, Eric kind of scratched the surface on this. And I mentioned it before the break to Jesse in studio. Like, it feels like there is this Canadian youth movement in sports beyond just hockey, where we always had uh, that high-level skill. But not only are we bringing high-level skill to the table in a bunch of different sports, we're doing it with swagger. Like, where is this coming from? Honestly, I was going to ask you guys that question about tennis. Like, Tim, I saw your post on Instagram about McEnroe, right? I saw John McEnroe saying, we're not supposed to lose in tennis and we're (laughs) supposed to lose in hockey. And he's losing his mind. But part of me wanted to be like the Canadian who just immediately is like, no, we are supposed to be good at everything. But I was like, when are we? How are we so good at tennis? When did this happen? How did it become this way? I thought we were at these huge disadvantages for sports like this because of climate. And I guess that travel and globalization has opened us up to the world and gotten us greater access to coaches and facilities and all these different things when it comes to tennis. But yeah, when Eric was running down those names in tennis in particular, I thought when we got Milos, it was, oh my God, get ready. We have this guy. And unfortunately, he lined up a little bit too much timeline-wise with those great players, and he's had the injuries. Mm -hmm. But now the idea that we're just, like, pumping out tennis players, that Layla, I hadn't heard of Layla. Tim, I was with you. I had never heard of Layla. Where where did Layla come from? And apparently she was dominating junior circuits. Okay, fine. That's something for tennis hardos. But now that we just have another Canadian in a semifinal at a major event, and it's supposed to just be status quo, like – doesn't America sneaky suck at tennis now? Aren't they having like a really tough time developing tennis players? How are we doing this? Like, where is our 30 for 30 short? Give me a somebody to tell me how this is happening. Why all of a sudden we're designed for tennis. I'm going to give it to you. great at tennis. I'm going to give we're it to amazing. you. Phaser, yeah. is it the national training program? I think that's a big part. I love what JD said about, uh, you know, making things international where players can travel to where the weather is now. And that's that's more of a recent development. The very best and the very wealthy were able to do that in the early days. But now players understand that there was always a joke. Oh, they they don't produce certain athletes in in Canada because of the the climate. So but I think I think the national coaching is huge. I think the the players that came before them. It's funny you mentioned Milos. It seems so long ago. And even Jeannie Bouchard who made a couple of Final Fours and a final in, at Grand Slam, just like uh, Milos making those kind of runs. And they set a table, even though it feels like it's been forever. It's been three, four, five years since they did that. Now this next generation has taken over. And they, when they break in at 17, 18, people are talking about them. Maybe not JD talking about Layla, but people in tennis yeah. that have much more uh, and firm roots in it than I do are talking, saying this guy is going to be a top 10 player. They said it about Chapo at 17 and Felix and they are there so this is something they're getting noticed early because they compete against the best all around the world at young ages too well guess what Layla is now being noticed Uh, Jesse Rubinoff what are we hearing from the United States of America on Layla Annie Fernandez that would be a stamp of approval from none other than Irvin Magic Johnson if you haven't seen the most exciting player at the U.S. Open 19 year old Layla Fernandez you're truly missing out she just beat her third ranked opponent and is on fire with six fire emojis she's captivating the world (laughs) 
so er, Magic is usually extremely obvious. I think this is a little bit of a deeper dive. It's about as deep as he gets. Yeah, that's a deeper (laughs) dive in terms of Magic tweets. So good good for Layla. She's getting noticed. All right, we got to take the break. Uh, Bunkus, Angles, Rubinoff, Faye, can you all stick around? When we come back, it's back to school week, so we'll have fun with some school subjects as the roundtable continues. Your tweets, some back to school stuff next on Tim and Friends. Welcome back to the Tim and Friends Virtual Roundtable. Angles in Montreal, Bunkus in Toronto, both Trump by Faye in and around Cooperstown, New York for the Baseball Hall of Fame. The big news of the day, Layla Annie Fernandez is off to the semifinals in Flushing at the U.S. Open. Unbelievably gutsy win over Alina Svitolina. And Jesse, we are seeing tweets rolling in from... Irving Magic Johnson, among others. Now the Habs in on the action. Yeah, the Habs is tweeting out uh, clapping emojis with Layla Fernandez, obviously uh, Layla's hometown of Montreal. So the Habs representing. Sloan Stevens, 2017 U.S. Open champ. That's how you fight. Go on, Layla. And Ivanka Osmak, Sportsnet Central. Wow, what an unreal performance by Layla Annie. Is it normal for me to be crying? But, Tim, (laughs) we still don't have the answer. Uh, You said Ivanka likes to call her Layla Annie. We still don't have the Firm answer on whether it's just Layla or Layla no, Annie. No, Ivanka spoke to Layla Annie Fernandez herself, right. asked her what she wanted, and she said Layla Annie. I she likes the so, Annie. Yeah. So that's, we have to listen it's, to her. Uh, it's Layla Annie on Ponce, for sure. Yeah. Uh, there it is. The, uh, the Americans need to know this. ESPN tweeting out full caps. 19-year-old Layla Fernandez does it again. She becomes the youngest player to defeat two WTA top five players at the same major uh, since 17-year-old Serena Williams in 1999. So when you add yourself to a list that includes Serena Williams uh, 22 years ago, you've done good. Uh, all right, let's start the second segment of the roundtable with a little back-to-school bingo. I'm going to give you guys a high school subject and a pop quiz for each subject that probably centers around the sporting world. Otherwise, I won't know the answer to it. An example... I will say geography, and the question that follows will be something like this. Angles, where will Jack Eichel play his next NHL game? (laughs) Great question. I have no idea. Uh, I don't think it's going to be Buffalo, but I'm not sure it's going to be anywhere soon, uh, wherever it is. So we'll see what a ridiculously difficult situation to resolve, especially ahead of the season, if that's what the Sabres are hoping to do. I know that's what Eichel's camp wants, but I don't know if that's what they're going to get. All right, more geography. Phaser, is the fact that Larry Walker gets flack for inflated numbers playing all those years in Colorado fair? I don't think so when you consider the three batting titles in four years and the fact that he was considered or, you know, one of the great five-tool players ever, which includes the defense. So if it's that easy to hit in that ballpark, then he wouldn't have had the defensive numbers that he had, throwing 30 stolen bases in his golden year of 1997 and yeah home runs and RBI sometimes are going to be inflated a little bit but this guy did everything and uh, hit hit 430 at home one year ridiculous number let me just follow up on that because you're there like it feels like the borders not being open a little unfair because a lot of Expo fans probably would have made the drive down Mm -hmm. there what's the feeling right now heading into an interesting weekend because obviously there the headline is Derek Jeter and here the headline is Larry Walker 
Yeah, I feel a little bad for uh, for those being inducted. First of all, it would be overrun if it was uh, everything uh, normal situation with COVID and everything with Derek Jeter regardless. But for Larry Walker, he said only about half of his family is able to get down here because of that. And it was it was interesting hearing him flip it from we, we followed, we did each did a, a stand-up sit-down interview with Larry Walker and first it was the Colorado guys and he talked about how Colorado meant so much to him and it did. It changed his career and then he completely flipped and talked about Canada and how important he's never forgotten that still involved with giving back to the game. So there's a lot of representation there. If you take Expos, Canadians in general and any fans from Denver, he would have a pretty big uh, rooting section just behind Jeter's if it was otherwise uh, circumstances so to speak and here's a tease you can see that on Blue Jays Central tonight Brad Fay and Larry Walker all right JD back to geography more likely the Nordiques returning to Quebec City or the Expos returning to Montreal first of all I just I don't like following Brad Fay um, he's wearing <laughs> like the tight black shirt he's got the tango like face do you have a tanning bed at your house like what is your teeth are just sparkling white and then my pasty face shows up on the TV and be like Ugh. Uh, I, it's got to be the Expos right like Tampa Bay has this incredible team Tampa Bay's payroll is 70 million dollars that's not even half of what the Blue Jays is and they keep doing record low numbers Eventually, it's got to be like the Arizona Coyotes situation to me where you just start to look at things and go, hey, we did our best. We tried everything. Nobody wants to watch this here. The Rays are a successful product on the field. No one wants to go to these games. Montreal is hungry for baseball. There was always that talk about the split between home games. If that ever happens, Montreal is stealing the team. The fact that that's already gone underway, I just I think it's got to be the Tampa Bay Rays don't end up staying in wherever the hell they are in Florida exactly, which is not Tampa Bay. <laughs> Can I interject? Yes, please. Yeah, I have a hard disagree here. I, uh, first of all, as far as Montreal clamoring for baseball here, I really don't believe that to be true. There's like a huge diehard following of baseball here, and that's it. There's like zero fringe whatsoever, and unless they get a permit to build a ballpark downtown, you're never going to attract that fringe where you just have people like, yeah, I'd like to go see a ball game tonight. And competing for some of those months against the Canadians – like not a chance and it's just you know it's not even a hockey town it's a montreal canadians town i just don't think baseball is viable here and selfishly i would really like to see a team return and the quebec nordiques uh you know reborn and maybe that team that you mentioned there arizona coyotes i know that the preference would be somewhere to expand to houston and this and that but relocation is a real possibility when it comes to quebec city i don't think expansion is a real one but I do believe in relocation. As far as the baseball thing is concerned, there are about fifty to 60,000 people that desperately want to see it here and no one else. Uh, here's the hot take. NBA gets to Montreal before both of them. All right, let's move on to math. Brad Fay, odds for the Raptors win total set at 36 and a half. 36 and a half. You going over or under? That's, that's ridiculous. That's not even uh, close like the old game show. I'm going to say that's a really high number. I'm gonna, I, <laughs> I, I would predict they're going to win 45 uh, in their sleep. I don't know where 36 and a half comes from, so that's an easy over for me. More math. Angles. Will Christian Dvorak have more points than Jesperi Kakanyemi? Yes. Easy. One word. Yes. No, no, not even a, a hint. I mean, he had five goals in the postseason. He had a few more, but not not even a hint of suggestion think, that Kakanyemi could do it in Carolina. Well, I think Dvorak is likely going to be at about 50 points this year, and I think Kakanyemi will probably be somewhere 
around 40, 45. Okay. All right. Uh, JD, more math. If Simeon hits the open market, what is he getting? Oh, my God. I Here's what I'll tell you. I don't like to think about it because it makes me sad inside. I don't want to watch Blue <laughs> Jays games without Marcus Simeon. And if he apparently, according to Ken Rosenthal, already turned down a deal with the Jays, he knows that the market's going to be healthy for him. So we play the, like, somewhere around $20 million game per season for Robbie Ray. I haven't even seen an estimate on a Marcus Semien deal, and I would say that scares the living crap out of me. All right, let's go to history. Brad Faye, will Vladimir Guerrero Jr. ever break Jose Batista's record of 54 home runs in a season for the Jays? I think he will, and only because he has that, uh, that unbelievable potential where he gets hot. And I know Jose had that crazy month or month and a half in the year that he went wild, and I think Vladdy is uh, every bit capable of doing that, if not for one month a season, maybe two at a time. I think he'll take a real good run at it. All right. Uh, I'm going to close with art, and I had, like, AV club. I had health. I had mm. study hall, but we're running out of time for all of them. I'm going to finish with art. We've all made the jock jams joke at one time or another. Each one of you have to give me one song that gets your juices going at a game. We'll start with JD. One song that get oh, no easy. Okay. Easy. Everybody clap your head. <laughs> no. It works every time. It works they've, every time. They've had it at the Jays for 28 it years. It works. It works. It works. It works. It works. <laughs> all right, Angles, what's the song? And is it Deambi Bo? No, for her, for sure. But yeah. honestly, only if she's playing Thunderstruck, because if they played that on a loop during warm-up, everyone would be happy the entire time. Brad Faye, what's your one song, and is it The Boss? Because I know you're always tweeting about Springsteen. No, no but remember, remember Jock Jams with Dutch? You get Moni Moni, what I like about you. Bang the drum all day. Jock Jams. Any of those will do for me. I like when the Canucks uh, came out to where the streets have no name in their glory years in yes. the mid-2000s. So very, go very good. And any one of our vintage, uh, you say Alan Parsons Project, and they go crazy for the Chicago the Bulls. Bulls. Angles, yeah. J.D., Phaser, appreciate you. Thank you for doing this. That concludes Got the roundtable. Take a break. Come back with more Tim and Friends after this. Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Thank you very much, Sheepdogs, back here on Tim and Friends. Another eventful day, full hour on Sportsnet 360. Rich Gannon stops by later on in the show to preview the NFC North. 30 minutes to go on Sportsnet ahead of Blue Jays Central. Jays and Yankees coming your way in the second of a massive four-game series in the Bronx. The Jays' bats are booming once again, and they pulled themselves right back into the playoff chase. Entering tonight, three games back of Boston, three and a half back of the Yankees in the wild card standings with three more to play in the Bronx. Now, it's a stiff test tonight. Steven Matz facing Cy Young favorite Garrett Cole. 073 ERA in his last four starts. And here's the lineup that will face Cole tonight. George Springer not there. He's day-to-day with that knee injury that we saw yesterday afternoon flare up once more. Corey Dickerson slides into the leadoff spot and will play center field. 
so he'll try and do his best George Springer impersonation. Alejandro Kirk, DHing, batting sixth. And new Blue Jay, Jake Lamb, will play the field tonight. He's at third while batting eighth. Reese McGuire will catch Stephen Match. Jays fans will be scoreboard watching nightly, rest of the season, as the Red Sox host the Jays, excuse me, the Rays, again after yesterday's absolutely wild game. Drew Rasmussen against Eduardo Rodriguez in that one. Mariners currently tied with the Jays, face Jake Odorisi and the Astros, while the A's now behind the Jays after the weekend sweep start a three-game set against the central leading White Sox. A lot of things favoring the Jays, at least when you look at the pitching matchups. Another late night heartbreaker for Bianca Andreescu at the U.S. Open last night as she fell in three sets to Maria Sakari in a match that ended after 2 a.m. Eastern time. That result left just two Canadians in the U.S. Open field entering today. Felix Auger Aliassime facing Carlo Alcar Carlos Alcaraz under the lights tonight while Leila Annie Fernandez was in action this afternoon against the fifth seeded Ukrainian Alina Svitolina. If you saw me grabbing my phone, it's because Leila. That's right. Leila got a lot of folks. On their knees, including Alina Svitolina at times in this match. First woman since 1975 to defeat two former world number ones en route to the quarters. How would she do first set? Game on serve. Fernandez hammers the weak second serve right back at the Ukrainian. Sets up a break point. On that break point, Fernandez able to get Svitolina on the run and... Goes up 4-2. Later in the first, the Canadian cross-court backhand winner wins the first set, 6-3. Second set, Fernandez already down a break, going for the drop shot. Svitolina this time able to chase it down. Her second break, second set, Svitolina 6-3. Would Fernandez go quietly into the night? Oh, hell no. Trying to get that momentum back. Open court, volley, get that crowd going later in the set. One day after a 19th birthday, Svitolina tries another drop shot. And there's no chance that Layla's getting to this, right? No chance, right? Oh my goodness, she got to it. Layla pump, so is the crowd at Flushing Meadows. Later in the set, it's Fernandez on the run. Svitolina down 5-2 in the third set would war back, ties it at five, and we head to the tie break. of magical inspiration from the Canadian brings it to match point Mom in tears, second youngest Canadian in the open era to reach a Grand Slam semi. 
Layla. Throughout the whole match, I was so nervous. I was trying to do what my coach told me to do. And thanks to you guys, to the crowd, to the New York crowd, cheering me on, fighting for me. And and never giving up for me. Thanks to you, I was able to push through today. What is it that they're feeding you up north in Canada that is producing such incredible, inspiring tennis this week? I would say it's the maple syrup. <laughs> maple syrup or poutine? Either way, Layla, unbelievable. And I didn't think when we went into this match that you could see, I mean, this is giant slaying, right? Like one after another after another two like Kerber and Osaka two US Open champions and then to do this against Fidelina coming off of bronze at the Olympics like it's unbelievable I said to you during the break um, it happened with Bianca when she won Indian Wells when you win a tournament or make a deep run at a tournament of this magnitude you're on the radar moving forward and it just is another level of stardom that did right. not exist a week and a half ago. It wasn't there for Leila Fernandez. She wasn't, you said, she wasn't as, she wasn't in that group of right. the Biancas and Felix. She's in the Dennis. group now. That's it. Without a doubt. Like, four matches, whatever it is, and she's in the group now, and we are going to follow her every move moving forward because of this run at the U.S. Open. She is clearly capable of this, so she's going to be on the radar. And even crazier, I don't know if you know this, but she's fluent in English, French, and Spanish. Like, she is going to be a huge star on the tour if she keeps this up. On to the semifinals, just the sixth Canadian man or woman in the open area to head to a Grand Slam semifinal. Uh, the Sens have signed their GM, Pierre Dorian, their contract extension that runs through 2024-25. Dorian has held the job since 2016 and has been put in a tough spot a bunch of different times. Now, the Sens hired Pierre Maguire as the senior VP of player development back in July, and some folks thought, Nah, Dorian ranks third in Sens history, uh, and GM wins with 149 trailing Brian Murray and John Muckler. Sens made the playoffs just once in his tenure, but as mentioned, he has been put in a bunch of tough situations. Alfonso Davies did not train with Canada today ahead of tomorrow's crucial World Cup qualifier at home to El Salvador. Davies left Sunday's draw against the United States with an apparent knee injury. Now, there were reports from Germany that the superstar was on his way back to Munich to undergo an MRI. But Canadian head coach John Herbin said that that's not the case when he provided this update a short time ago. Alfonso didn't train today, and I'll be uh, providing an update uh, either later today or probably tomorrow morning as we continue the assessment. Is he still uh, with the team? Yeah, he's still with the team. Well, that's some good news. We'll have to see how they do without Davies if he's unable to go though they did it in the Gold Cup. Now, ahead of the upcoming season, the NWHL has rebranded themselves as the PHF, the Premier Hockey Federation. In a press release, the league said that the name and the logo change redefines the league's brand based on the skill and talent of its athletes as opposed to their gender. And it's the first professional women's sports league in North America to lift the word women's out of its title. 
League Commissioner Tyler Taminia joined Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman to discuss on a special 31 Thoughts, the podcast. So we were talking about the name and we were all sitting around and I said, you know, why do we have to keep putting the W in there? You know, these are phenomenal athletes, right? They're not like female phenomenal or, you know, the NHL is, is not, you know, the National Men's Hockey League, right? So let's kind of be provocative here and take it out. Like there's no one size fits all approach for any human. So, you know, whether that be gender or identified gender or sexual orientation, like everyone is really a unique individual. And we think it's just getting to the point where we just don't need to put people in boxes anymore, right? That whole no labels, no limits. It's a big weekend for the Blue Jays who have 30 games remaining and have to pass three teams. The batter is Lourdes Gurriel Jr. representing the tying run. And he drives into left field and he has tied it. The 2-2 swing and a high fly ball down the left field line and it is gone! Ball game! And one of the more memorable nights here at Rogers Center in over two years. 2-2. He hits it hard to left field. It's gone! Career home run number 100. 1-2 to Kirk. There's a swing and a line drive. Hooking on the line down into the corner. And it's gone! The Blue Jays lead 7-0. The ninth time this season, Robbie Ray has put down double digits in the strikeout column. Six and two-thirds of a one-hit shutout. Marcus Simeon with the bases loaded. Bringing a high fly ball to left field. This ball is in the corner. This ball is going to go. Grand slam home run. And then they busted it wide open. In a big series, that's how you want to start. This is truly a team. A big game in this big four-game series. The Jays had to do a lot of things in the last little while to make this meaningful and get some help. Nearly every duck has fallen in that row heading into game two tonight between the Yankees and the Jays. Here to talk it out with us is a, a man who, if you are doing baseball right, you are following not only on Twitter but listening to the podcast at the letters along with Ben Nicholson-Smith. It is Arden Zwelling rejoining us here on Tim and Friends. How are you, Arden? Dude, that that clip you just played from you know the the women's hockey with not everyone's individual and we're all unique. Hell yeah, man! Yes, what, I was like getting fired up listening to that, especially coming off of Layla Fernandez being asked, "Oh, what's in the water up in Canada?" Yeah. And she says, "Maple syrup and like trained seals." Everyone claps because they associate that with Canada. Her dad's from Ecuador, yeah. mom's from the Philippines. She speaks three different languages. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like they wanted her to throw a beaver pelt over her back or something <laughs> like that. She's an individual. She's unique. Yeah. That clip you played after it was so perfect. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And I feel like right now Canadian women came here to chew bubblegum and kick ass and they're all out of bubblegum. Like, Canadian women are just kicking ass right now, and the latest just happens to be Layla Annie Fernandez. All right, let's talk about these Blue Jays. And by the way, uh, Taylor Tomini, I want her on this show because she is a remarkably interesting individual. If you ever peeled the layers of the onion back, I, I, she's going to come on this show. Um, all right, let's talk Jays. Springer out. For this game tonight, have you heard any word on whether this day-to-day -day will extend past today? And how much does this do to the Jays' lineup? Because it feels like this little run right now 
coincides with Springer being back in the lineup? It is day-to-day in the truest sense of the word, and it will be how George Springer feels on the day that is tomorrow, because today is obviously not the day, and look, it's a pain management thing with this. This injury is not going to heal magically in the next three weeks. George Springer's not going to be 100%. Again, uh, you know, he's playing uh, playing on a a knee held together with uh, silly putty and duct tape right now, uh, and he's gotten it out. He's going out there, and he's doing what he can to help his team win, and that's how good he is, that a 55 or 60% George Springer is still a really valuable hitter to have a really talented guy atop your lineup, but it's really just going to depend on how he reports to the ballpark each day, how he sleeps, how he recovers, you know, what kind of travel the Blue Jays have had and just what he feels capable of doing. This is going to have to be something that's managed for the rest of the season. The uh, Corey Dickerson pickup. I mean, I know that when you see him at the top of the lineup and playing center field, it feels like he's got to do his Springer impersonation, but that's been a quietly solid pickup for the Jays. Yeah, if it's not Corey Dickerson right now, it is, what, Josh Palacios, probably, right? And we all saw how that kind of went. Yeah, it looked like the moment was a little too big for him in center field when he got a very brief audition recently. So just having a a veteran, having a left-handed bat, having a guy in Corey Dickerson who can give you some pop, who can play center if you need him to, it's not ideal. You would prefer he was in a a corner spot. Um, But, you know, having him on this roster has been really important for this club. Like, you look back at that deal getting Simber and Corey Dickerson from the Miami Marlins like that was really big for Joe Panic and a prospect that nobody's heard of that was big like those are two guys who have made an impact on this club it was a sneaky good deal especially when it came prior to the deadline when the Blue Jays really needed help yeah without a doubt all right so for the New York Yankees it feel like the pressure is always on New York but right now it has gone to a new height uh, people are wondering if they suck again, losing seven of nine, which is why this start, especially when you see the starters for the rest of the series, this start for Garrett Cole seems like it's absolutely massive to the New York Yankees. Um, he's been good, especially of late. Yeah, Garrett Cole's really, really good spider tack or not sticky yeah. stuff or not he's just really talented one of the best pitchers in the game is the reason why he's making 36 million dollars and man the yankees to cover that team i couldn't even imagine because it is just such a roller coaster one day it's sun shining everything's beautiful and this is the team of destiny and two days later the sky is falling and uh you know like just the walls are closing in so it's still a club in the yankees on pace for well over 90 wins and if you think about it there have been many junctures this season where people want to write them off and yeah. fire Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman and you know walk every player uh you know just into the middle of the ocean and uh <laughs> yet here they are uh they, 78 59 they got a really good record they're probably playoff bound it would take a lot for them to miss the postseason but every time they cough up a couple games just with the way that market and that fan base is things get a little crazy I love the uh, matchup of Garrett Cole against the Blue Jays bats, and it would have been great to have Springer in the lineup because you could argue with Springer in the lineup, this might be the best in all of baseball. Without him, uh, you could make a couple of arguments in different spots and maybe even across the field. But earlier today, we got visuals of the Jays taking batting practice, and I don't know if you saw this yet, Arden, but they're wearing the Robbie Ray tight pants jersey. Now, all proceeds (laughs) of this jersey go to 
Jay's Care. So go out and buy one. We'll provide the link on our Twitter account right now. But I feel like, Arden, there's no coincidence the day they're facing Garrett Cole, maybe Robbie Ray's best competition for the Cy Young, that they're making a little bit of a statement here at batting practice with the tight pants jerseys. Hey, the Blue Jays could do him a solid, couldn't they, by getting to Garrett Cole. And that's easier said than done because Garrett Cole is just phenomenal. I mean, what was the – Roger had 14 strikeouts in an outing recently. um, And then, like, two two nights later, Garrett Cole had 15. (laughs) You know, they have just been going back and forth, and they're going to be doing that uh, for the rest of the month. I actually have a Cy Young vote this year, so I'm going to be watching with with interest tonight. I'm going to be watching every one of Garrett Cole's starts and – Robbie Ray's starts down the stretch. And then I know Lance Lynn's had a little injury hiccup here, but he's, you know, not quite out of the race yet, but it is narrowing to just Cole V Ray. So each one of their starts the rest of the way is an event and it's going to be very cool to watch this play out. All right. I need to ask you this. There was a bunch of questions that I had, and it's funny that the Jays were reportedly flirting with guys like uh, Francisco Lindor and DJ LeMayhew and those contracts right now seem like, I know that they're good players and they can bounce back really easy. Another guy that they were linked to or a lot of fans wanted them to go out and get was Joey Gallo. Um, he's getting booed in New York 0 for 4 with 4Ks yesterday. I need to ask you, what algorithm spits out Joey Gallo batting in the two-hole? I don't know. I don't have access to that. I'm, I promise you there's a good reason. The Blue Jays, or the Yankees have a massive analytics department. Yes. Um, and they were one of the, they were at the forefront of the analytics movement in baseball. So I'm sure that there's a, a good reason for that. Yeah, he, he has not uh, lived up to expectations in New York, certainly. Um, but, you know, it's funny. You mentioned, you know, deals that the Blue Jays missed out on. Uh, yeah, if, if DJ LeMahieu accepts their offer, this offseason, yeah. Marcus Semien is not a Blue Jay. And if the Blue Jays are able to trade for Francisco Lindor and then obviously extend him because that was part of the plan, uh, you know, I, George Springer is not a Toronto Blue Jay. If Kevin Gossman accepts the Blue Jays' offer at the beginning of the offseason when he was deciding whether or not to take the qualifying offer from San Francisco, Robbie Ray yeah, is not crazy. a Toronto Blue Jays. So there are, you know, the, the sliding doors of an MLB offseason are really interesting to to watch looking back. And man, the Blue Jays had a lot of thing go, things go right for them last offseason. Never enough time. This was fun. Thanks for doing it, Arden. Anytime, man. There is Arden Swelling. Follow him at the Letters Podcast with your boy Ben Nicholson Smith. Time for a break. We'll continue to tee up the Jays and Yankees with Buck and Tabby stopping by next. Plus a sneak preview of Brad Fay's conversation with Larry Walker ahead of tomorrow's Cooperstown induction. Back after this on Tim and Friends. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Minutes away from sending you to Blue Jays Central on Sportsnet. Feels like a big day in New York. Not just Layla, but the Jays in the Bronx for a sixth straight win, or at least looking for a sixth straight win. With more, let's send it to the men that will call it. Buck Martinez and Pat Talbot. Gentlemen. Tim, it's not very often the Blue Jays come into Yankee Stadium and have an advantage in the starting pitching matchup, but that's been the case so far. Yanjin Ryu was terrific yesterday afternoon as the Blue Jays shut out the Yankees, and Steven Matz is on quite a roll right now. The Blue Jays may have the upper hand throughout this series in this starting pitching. 
You know, Buck, we talk a lot about uh, Robbie Ray and Hunjin Ryu, what he has done, Alec Manoa and the rest of the starters, but very quietly, Stephen Matz is getting the job done for the Blue Jays. His last start against the Baltimore Orioles, he was fastball heavy, but that's okay. He can use that on the inside part of the plate or the outside part of the plate and then combine it with a very good changeup. He'll throw a curveball every now and then and a slider, but when he is Pounding that fastball in, especially to righties, he can be really tough. And he was tough in the month of August. He had the best earn run average of any pitcher in baseball at 130. And the key for him, keep it in the ballpark. He only gave up that one home run in August and September, that home run, that milestone home run to Miguel Cabrera. But other than that, he has been doing the job for the Blue Jays, I think, from the beginning of this season. Well, he's made a nice adjustment as well. As you mentioned, doing a good job of keeping the ball down, keeping it in the ballpark, and that's always key when you play the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. Tim? Thank you very much, gentlemen. Some people call it a joke stadium for a reason, and the Jays actually took advantage of that joke stadium yesterday with a bunch of wall scrapers that got out. All right, tomorrow, Larry Walker will officially become just the second Canadian enshrined in the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, joining Fergie Jenkins. The induction had to wait a year due to COVID, but tomorrow it becomes official. Before joining us on the roundtable earlier in the show, Brad Fay caught up with Walker in Cooperstown. You can see that full conversation coming your way on Blue Jays Central. But here, sneak peek for you. The day that you got the call, you went on Tim and Sid on Sportsnet, and a lot of people remember you thanked Canada. Tell us what that, uh, or expand on that, why you, why that came to mind for you to thank the country. Well, like I say, there's, uh, I've said before, there's a tattoo of a, of a maple leaf on my arm, and it's there for a reason. You know, I'm, I'm a proud Canadian, and uh, I'm, I'm happy where I'm from, and I'm able to represent a country that's only been represented one time in the Hall of Fame. So uh, to be able to have that honor, and, you know, baseball is a, a lot more popular now than it was back in the you know, mid-'80s when I signed. So there's a lot of kids out there that have dreams and aspirations of playing, and I think if, uh, for me to get this uh, recognition and, and be enshrined into the Hall of Fame, I think it's a, a great thing for kids to look up to, hopefully, and, and give them a, a goal or a dream to go after. One of the uh, proudest moments, Jesse, of my career mm -hmm. was sitting on this desk with Sid Sixero when Larry Walker, fresh off the news of getting into the Baseball Hall of Fame, like you could just feel the, the pride uh, the relief, like all of those things coming together and having a conversation with a guy who just got the ultimate call in the game of baseball, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I'm a little too young to truly appreciate Larry Walker's greatness. He was probably nine years old. I think nine years old when he won MVP in, in 1997. Mm -hmm. uh, but he was of that generation where you look back on great Canadian players and great players, and he was the guy. Yeah. He was the guy. In the video game, he wanted to be the Canadian, and he always wanted to be Larry Walker. Yeah. So he has that reputation, even though I was probably too young to witness his greatness live. It's still an, an incredible moment. Now I can appreciate what going and to the hall must be like for him. The best thing is, in that video game, he wasn't some slap hitter. He did everything yeah. well. He was hitting bombs. He was hitting for average. He was stealing bases. And my God, did he have an arm from right field. All right, time to send you to Blue Jay Central. You can see that entire conversation on Blue Jay Central. Jamie and Joe got you covered with the pregame coverage on a huge game between the Yankees and the Jays. As for us, we will get to our NFC North Divisional preview next right here 
on Tim and Friends. Welcome back to Tim and Friends for this Tuesday. We continue our trip around the NFL by previewing the NFC North today. And for a moment there, it really felt like we could see Aaron Rodgers in another uniform this season between hosting Jeopardy, the passive-aggressive T-shirts, constant chirping from Tom Brady, and trips to Hawaii, it seemed like he was ready to move on. He showed up for camp, looking as casual as he does under center on Sundays. The drama in Green Bay appears to be a thing of the past, which is tough news if you're a Lions, Vikings, or Bears fan. Do any of these teams stand a chance? Anthony Caminetti will tell you. If I'm not a part of the future, then instead of letting me be a lame duck quarterback, if you want to make a change and move forward, then go ahead and do it. For the time being, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are okay. The reigning MVP showed up, said his piece, and now the focus can shift back to winning a Super Bowl. With a restructured deal, this might be the last chance to do that with Rodgers under center. And back-to-back NFC Championship game losses is all the motivation this team needs. Can they finally get over the hump? Sticking with the QB position, the Bears have a new exciting signal caller, but fans will have to wait to see Justin Fields in action. It's Andy Dalton's time for now. Surprisingly, a Mike Zimmer-led Vikings team struggled on defense in 2020. They'll get Daniil Hunter back after missing all last season and added Patrick Peterson and Bashad Breeland to help bring them back to being a feared unit. Knock us down, we're going to get up, and on the way up we're going to bite a kneecap off, all right, and we're going to stand up, and then it's going to take two more shots to knock us down, all right, and on the way up we're going to take your other kneecap, and we're going to get up, and then it's going to take three shots to get us down. What? It's a new and seemingly intense era in Detroit. Dan Campbell is given the reins to lead the Lions to respectability, and there's also a change at quarterback. Is Jared Goff a better option for this team's future than Matthew Stafford was? A few months ago, fans in this division had a glimmer of hope. It has been a generation that I have had to deal with that smirking, mustached, Discount, double check, bleep and bleep and bleep. Right. So today, right here, we are popping bottles. Psych! That door was slammed shut. Can any of these teams make the Packers sweat this season? Arash Madani, premature on the celebration of Aaron Rodgers leaving town, although... We'll see if it continues. Uh, here to talk about this is a former NFL MVP, just like Mr. Rogers. It is Rich Gannon who joins us once again to talk about the NFC North. Thanks a lot for doing this, Rich. Always enjoy these conversations. Guys, I, I love talking football, especially the NFC North. All right, well, let's get down to it. After all the drama of the offseason, it does feel like almost Super Bowl or bust for the Packers this year. It feels like a tough place to be, is it? I think so. I think when you look at what happened this offseason with all the distractions, as a football team, you never want distractions. And clearly, Aaron Rodgers was a distraction this offseason with all the scuttlebutt about the unhappiness with the players and the draft and not having more of an input. But look, this guy was the best player in football this season. Go ahead. A career-high 48 touchdown passes, a career-high completion percentage of almost 71%. 
And as Aaron Rodgers goes, so do the Packers. I mean, they've got a good running game with Aaron Jones. They've got a good, obviously, a good receiver in Devontae Adams. They added three offensive linemen up front. They've got a new defensive coordinator in Joe Barry. But the key is Aaron Rodgers. And is he happy? Is he comfortable in the system with the changes that are around him, especially up front along that offensive line? Uh, that, to me, is going to be important. But something tells me it's not going to end well for Aaron Rodgers this year. I think so much of the distraction in the offseason is certainly going to have an impact, especially early in the season. Yeah, if they stumble early, that was my next question. Like, what? what it, I, I feel like it's not ironed out. I feel like, especially if they stumble early, could you see Rodgers being unhappy again? I could, but I, I still think regardless of what happens early, this is still, still a two-horse race in the North. I mean, right. it's not going to be the Lions or, or the Bears. It's going to be between the Vikings and the Packers, as it usually is. And I think that'll be the case once again. I do like the Packers. I still think Aaron Rodgers is an elite player. He was the, the, the league MVP a season ago for a reason. I still think the Packers win the North. All right, so the Vikings are an interesting team, and Narash Madani was in here popping bottles as a Vikings fan when he just heard the news that Aaron Rodgers might want out. And it feels like the Vikings have been middling for some time. And I know that you started your career in Minnesota, and there is some history there. I don't want to oversimplify this, but if healthy, especially on defense, because they're, they're a good defense when healthy, a lot seems to hinge on Kirk Cousins. It is does, but Tim, let's, let's start with the defense because Mike Zimmer said it was the worst defense he ever coached a season ago. So before the draft, they signed six defensive players in free agency. They added five more to the draft. And I, I just think that's where they have to improve. We know who Kirk Cousins is. When they're able to run the ball with Dalvin Cook and play action and move the pocket, he can be very effective. But he's not the type of quarterback, if you ask him to throw 35 or 40 times, that can throw a team on his shoulders. He needs help. He needs a supporting cast. He's an efficient guy. He makes pretty good decisions. He doesn't make a lot of bad mistakes, doesn't turn the football over. He's got some playmakers to work with, but they've got to get better defensively. That, to me, is the key. Getting Daniel Hunter back, Michael Pierce, both didn't play a season ago. Eric Kendricks, the linebackers were beat up. They added Patrick Peterson. They added Xavier Woods at the safety position. I think if they can do that, Kirk Cousins can put up some strong numbers once again, and the Vikings can get back to the postseason. Yeah, he definitely has some weapons in Jefferson, Cook, and Thielen. All right, so Matt Nagy names Andy Dalton the starter. Sean McVay, first week head coach of the Rams, uh, their week one opponent, says, I'd be naive not to prepare for Justin Fields. How do you see this working out in Chicago? Um, who could be good this year? Yeah, look, they have to rely on their defense. Andy Dalton is who he is. I don't think he lasts past the month of September. I really don't. I think, I think we'll see Justin Fields sooner rather than later. I think he gives them more playmaking ability, his, his ability to improvise, extend plays, create offense, something that Andy Dalton simply can't do. He is a pocket passer. He lacks mobility. You put a guy like Justin Fields in there, he's going to create some energy, some buzz, some juice, and that's what the Bears need on offense. They still have a good defense. You look at Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn and Akeem Hicks, Raquan Smith and Danny Trevathan. They've got a good defense. And if the young quarterback plays, they have to run the ball. They have to have success on the ground. They can't ask Justin Fields to throw the ball 35 or 40 times. They have to win the old-fashioned way by playing great defense, being good in the kicking game, and being balanced on offense. 
So I'm, I'm a student of the game from the outside looking in. And one of the things that I love about Canadian football is I feel like a lot of the trends that the Canadian Football League goes to end up in the NFL if they work. RPO is a great example of that. Using your quarterbacks to get to edges but be able to throw that hybrid running passing quarterback is basically what a CFL quarterback is. The other thing that we have seen a lot of in the Canadian Football League over the last little while, Rich, is two quarterbacks playing frequently. And part of that is because of injury, and part of that is because sometimes you need the pocket quarterback to just sling it around there, and sometimes you need a guy to play the game in that style where you're running all over the field. Do you think that the NFL could get to a point where if you don't have that elite high-level quarterback, we might start seeing more two-quarterback situations? Well, as John Madden always said, if you have two quarterbacks – you don't have one. And I just think that, you know, you, you have to have a guy that you can hang your hat on. I think that Matt Nagy is going to bring Justin Fields along slowly. I mean, we can look at the preseason and say, why isn't he starting? Well, I, I think you have to be there at practice. You have to see him miss the blitz and the hots and the, and the reads and say, well, there's a reason why he's not he's not quite ready. So you go with Danny Dalton. But I think you, you, you sprinkle in Justin Fields. He brings a different dimension to it. I just don't know that. In our game, which is a little bit different than the NFL, I think you've got the, the, there's there's limited reps, there's limited practice time, and that's why, you know, it's important to be able to go with a quarterback. You know, there, there's going to be 13 different starting quarterbacks in the league this year, three rookies, and 10 veterans that have either been switched teams or, uh, you know, went from being a backup to a starter. That's a lot of turnover at the most important position in all of football. Yeah, I understand. I'd like to spend a little bit more time on this, but I want to get to uh, the Detroit Lions. And uh, they might take middling at this point, like I said about <laughs> the, uh, the Minnesota Vikings. What's your take on Dan Campbell in that era in Detroit? Because it seems like there's this guy who everyone sees in the media, and then when you peel back the onion a little bit, it seems like this is a really good man who really cares about his coaches and his players. He does, and he's been around some good coaches. He's been around Bill Parcells. He's been around Sean Payton. So I think he shares some of the same philosophies, if you will. He's a tough, hard-nosed type of player. He was anyway in the NFL. The problem is he, he, he lacks experience. He's never really been a play caller. And then he went out and hired two assistant coaches that are in the same boat. He hired Anthony Lynn, a former head coach, but doesn't have a lot of experience as an offensive coordinator. And then he hired Aaron Glenn, Glenn on defense, who's never been a defensive coordinator. So to me, that's a recipe to, for disaster. It's going to be a slow, painful process for the Lions as they try to rebuild once again. But I just think as a, as a coach, when you're a first-time head coach, you've got to hire veteran assistants right. that, that have been in, in the fires. And Anthony Lynn has had trouble managing – you know, games late, uh, late in games, and you look at his his disaster in, with the Chargers with Justin Herbert last year. He had a great quarterback, but they just lost games in the fourth quarter because of poor, uh, you know, clock management. I, I just, I, I think that was a bad hire. And Aaron Glenn, as good a player as, as he was in the NFL, he's got no experience as a defensive play caller. All right, so we got about a minute and a half left here, and there's some breaking news. Uh, this from Adam Schefter on Twitter, having lost J.K. Dobbins and Justin Hall to season-ending injuries. The Ravens are signing Le'Veon Bell to their practice squad per sources. Uh, he, is soon, uh, he soon is likely to be added to the 53-man roster when ready. What do you make of Le'Veon trying to reclaim his career 
in Baltimore. You know, it's a shame because I think that the, the year he held out, Tim, was yeah. was devastating. I, he just has never been the same player. He was in a very good system, the really good offensive line, a really good quarterback in Ben Roethlisberger, and he holds out. He misses an entire season, and then he goes to the worst possible place he could have gone. He went to the Jets. They didn't have a quarterback. They didn't have an offensive line, and they basically tried to feed him the football, and it turned out to be a disaster. He took a lot of hits. Uh, he just wasn't the same player. And I just think that, you know, the Ravens are so beat up right now at the running back position. They're looking for a veteran player that can give them some some juice and some carries to go along with what they already have on Lamar Jackson. This is a team that relies on running the football. They need help at the running back position. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he goes back to Pittsburgh with the Ravens, their arch nemesis. I will say this, final year with the Steelers, he ran for 1,300 yards. He's run for about 1,000 in the three years since he left Pittsburgh. Rich, always great talking football with you. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Uh, there is Rich Gannon, former NFL MVP, now working for CBS. Time for one last break. Last call is next as we celebrate the anniversary of one of the greatest all-time sports clips of all time. And I'm not talking about haircuts. I'm talking about audio clips next here in Toronto. Time now for last call with my friend Jesse Rubinoff. When are you going on your bachelor party? That would be Thursday. Okay, so we got one more day after today with the wonderful Jesse Rubinoff. So kind of you. Thank you. Yes, one more day. Wednesday. Wacky Wednesday. Let's nice. do it. Uh, okay, Monday was a huge day of the CFL after an 18-day layoff. The Edmonton Elks played their best game of the season, beating the Stamps 32-20 in the Labor Day Classic. And with fans back at Tim Hortons Field, the donut box, for the first time in almost two years, Dane Evans led the Ticats to a 32-19 win over the Argos. So whose win was bigger, the Elks or the Ticats? I like Trevor Harris's game, but I'm going to say the Ticats. Mm. And uh, the Ticats did the Argos in. And did they let them know about it, both on and off the field? Let's start with off the field. Young Dundas Square is basically the biggest area in downtown Toronto where people congregate. And the Hamilton Tiger Cats took out a billboard at the Toronto Eaton Centre in Young Dundas Square that says, Hey Toronto, you're 0-7 on Labor Day at Tim Hortons Field. That's nice, a little chirp back and forth, but how about the caption from the Hamilton Tiger Cats Twitter account? Certified loser boys working off the uh, Drake album name. Yeah. I mean, that, that's Twitter. That you gotta, you gotta stay hip. Oh, that's what it is. You gotta stay relevant. You gotta stay relevant. Understood. That's how, what that is. That's that's off the field. How about on the field? Shaquille Richardson, that guy on your team or in your crew who doesn't stop chirping. He decides on the last play of the game in victory formation that he's gonna go hard. And he gets absolutely pancaked, and the Ticats let him know all about it. Listen, you and I could have the Jeremiah Masoli-Dane Evans conversation, but nobody wants to hear that. No. It looks like Dane Evans has taken it and run with it in Hamilton, and they have two really solid options. Mm. But that juice on a Labor Day between Hamilton and Toronto, there's nothing like it. And even better, you get the return match. Immediately. Yeah, I mean that's that's. You think that was a little bit of planting the seed there for Friday? It always is. That's Labor Day, and it's insanity, and that's why there's always chirping before, during, and after. 
even though the Ticats handled the Argos. <laughs> and I mean handled the Argos. Okay, quick question. We know the CFL is extremely popular, but um, in Toronto, it's more of a uh, localized fan base. Like they're, they're No, it struggles mightily. Struggles, okay, yeah. Don't be I, nice. Okay, sorry, yeah. I was trying to be nice there. So how many people do you think are walking down Young and Dundas, or walking Young and Dundas Square, look up at that billboard and, and have no idea what it even means? Uh, how many people are missing? Like what percentage, yeah. How many people are missing the boat? <laughs> yes, oh, as nice. Were. Yeah, I, nice. listen, uh, Toronto, sometimes Vancouver, sometimes Calgary, you're missing out. It's a wonderful league played by great players. Go watch it. Sports is about the experience and the atmosphere. And guess what? You know who makes the atmosphere? You do. Yes. So if you don't like the atmosphere, change it. Love it. Trust me, it works. Go look at the NCAA. All about atmosphere. Yeah, maybe all they need is uh, to get a sing-along going before kickoff. Yeah, half of the 40,000 people at an NCAA game yeah. Don't even care what happens in the game. 100%. They're just there for the party. Oh, yeah. So make the party. Uh, okay, today is the 10th anniversary of one of our favorite clips of all time from the Coastal Carolina football coach, David Bennett, talking about needing more dogs. dogs. We need to get a new screen door, but the screen's broke, so you can come in through the screen, but you can't get back out of it. I turn and look, there's a little kitty cat in our, in our kitchen. So I said, what are you doing in here, little kitty cat? By that time, eh, the cat turns, tries to get back out. That screen won't go that way. Cat starts going meow, all crazy. And I told our players, we need more dogs. Bo's barking in the back. I have to go shut Bo up. Mel's like, what's going on? I said, there's a cat in the house. Cat in the house? I said, yeah, there's a cat in the house. So I told our players, I tried to let it out the front door. Meow, meow, the cat's still going crazy in there. And I told our players, you need to be more like a dog. We don't need a bunch of cats in here eh, looking in the mirror. Do I look good? I got my extra bands on. I got my other shoes on. Be a dog. <laughs> uh, the old school podcast for that clip was absolutely so glorious. Sometimes I wish we were back in those days. So I know you're a, uh, you're a dog person. Yes. But are your kids ever like, we need another pet? Like, if you were going to get another no, pet, shut no. your mouth. Don't even walk. Don't even. I do feel like you did. Yeah, you 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 walked a road that is very dangerous for any parent, and they know one dog is enough. Two kids, one dog. That's enough. I don't need anything. Else. Not even a turtle. No, nothing. Zero. Goldfish? Nada. Quiet, please. Okay, done. I don't think I've ever told you to shut your mouth. Yeah. But as soon as you brought up another pet, Uncle Timmy said that. Hopefully the kids aren't watching that. Uh, Shaden Sharp, the London, Ontario native and number one ranked high school basketball prospect in the class of 2022 will announce his decision on where he'll play next season at 7 p.m. Eastern tonight, just minutes from now. Now Sharp is deciding between... Some pretty impressive schools. Kentucky, yes. Kansas, Oklahoma top. State, Arizona, or he's going to the G League. Where do you think he'll end up? I do believe that Sharp will follow in a long line of Canadians. The big Cat, Jamal McGlure, Michael Mulder, Jamal Murray, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and end up at Kentucky. And I think that Name, image, and likeness will be a big part mm -hmm. of this because those at those big schools like Kentucky um, will end up getting a lot more players to play there because of 
the fact that they can make some money. I mean, we just heard that the Ohio State quarterback has signed a deal for $1.4 million. I don't think name, image, and likeness is going to work out for a, a lot of people the way they thought it would, but at the very top, it's going to help. So I think maybe it won't be G League, it'll be Kentucky. So it changed the game um, for prospects looking, trying to decide between the G League and college. If you are a prospect yourself, Tim McAuliffe mm-hmm. is going to play football or basketball somewhere. Where would you go? Would you go to the NCAA now or the G League? Because you know you're getting a paycheck in the G League. If I was that level, like it's going to be only the best of the best. And so I think there's there's going to be a rejig on how we do this. But the best of the best are going to go to college because they're going to make real coin in college because of name, image, and likeness. It's wild to think about. Uh, Speaking of people who are making some serious coin, we talk... We were watching, uh, we were basically watching Layla Fernandez's match. The big, let's tell her how it is. We were watching her match in the first block of the show. She's on to the semifinals. It wasn't on our station. It's we were a, just, yeah, yeah, we're, we're just watching. watching. <laughs> I mean, it's a, we're, we're a TV show. We have TVs in the studio, so naturally we were just watching it. So she's on to the semifinals, and the love just continues to pour in. And I talked about uh, the name, image, and likeness. Well, uh, Layla earned about $374,000 in 2021 entering the U.S. Open and will now take home $675,000 for making the semifinals and stands to make as much as $2.5 million if she goes on to win the title. So we talked about it being a life-changing moment in terms of exposure, uh, obviously life-changing in terms of uh, finances. Vashik Pospisil saying, go Layla Fernandez. Unreal stuff, fire emojis. Perdita Felician, Olympian, she did it. First Grand Slam semifinals for Leila Fernandez at 19. She's the youngest to make it this deep into a major in 16 years. What a game, what personality. Yeah. Evan Dunphy, Olympian as well. When I grow up, I want the composure, confidence, and tenacity <laughs> of Leila Fernandez and former NBA point guard who's been on the show, Brevin Knight. I've loved this year's Tennis US Open, and I've become a super fan of Layla Fernandez. So the love just continuing to pour in. We saw the Magic Johnson tweet from earlier. And everyone's tuned in. Everyone's now plugged into Layla Fernandez because it is the story at this year's US Open. And a lot of Canadians very proud. We sent out the tweet, immediately got up to a thousand retweets, people commenting, wanting us to talk about it. And with uh, the lack of huge American stars, I feel like Layla Fernandez, and this is both good and bad, ask Naomi Osaka, but I feel like she's on the verge of becoming a huge star. And part of it is fluent English, fluent French, fluent Spanish. Her dad's from Ecuador. Yeah, that's a this, point. This is, she could be on the verge of superstardom if she can continue to play like this. I don't want to put that pressure on her. All I'll say is, yes, oh, yes. like unbelievable what she was able oh, to Yeah. Could she pull a Bianca? Woo! <laughs> That's it for us. A reminder, Jays and Yankees about to get going. Big game on Sportsnet. WWE NXT coming up right here on Sportsnet 360, 8 p.m. Eastern. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.